one of the things that she said, which resonated with me, was be brave. And if it isn't you, why not you? And, and why couldn't it be you? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Staff Lounge, a place to unwind, reflect, and connect with the faculty at Humber College in Toronto, Canada. In each episode, we'll be having casual chats, interviews, and tips from our teaching and learning support team. I'm your host, Sharantha Bedegay. I'm a saxophonist, composer, and faculty in the Bachelor of Music program. In today's episode, we're going to be celebrating International Women's Day, March 8th, 2022. And today we're going to be having a number of conversations with women who have made waves in academia and other industries and people who have come through Humber, both as administrators and as students as well. So we're going to be starting today off with an interview with Don McCauley, who is the Dean of Innovative Learning in the Faculty of Liberal Arts and Sciences and Innovative Learning. She's going to be speaking with my colleague, Fiona Tudor-Price, who is the wonderful producer and editor of this show, about the role of women in leadership and academia. So welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us on the International Women's Day. Um, so tell me, what is it that we have to celebrate here? What, it, what are you seeing that are our big successes uh, for, for women uh, in leadership um, for International Women's Day? Well, I think uh, particularly within our sector of, of uh, education, post-secondary education, we are seeing uh, some very significant uh, gains in terms of uh, women ha having a strong impact on our uh, post-secondary institutions that uh, not only are we having very strong uh, representation in terms of the faculty level, we're also seeing greater gains in terms of administration and senior leadership. So, you know, we, we now have had two um, senior vice presidents academic uh, at Humber who are women. And so the first was Lori Rancourt, uh, and now we have Gina Antonacci. So that is, uh, you know, that's a significant impact on an institution like this. This is the core business of, of Humber is, uh, is that teaching is the academic side. So to have female leaders there is, uh, it's certainly something to celebrate. If we look at, uh, you know, our own um, uh, vice president, uh, associate vice president, uh, Vera Bellitson, again, moving into this new role um, as a, a, a leader among women, uh, a leader among, uh, you know, members of the entire institution. But yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see people uh, that have moved with the institution, grown with the institution, take on these leadership roles. And I think that's what's also really wonderful uh, is that it, it tells us that there are opportunities within Humber to keep progressing when we see people um, who have moved through these roles that uh, people have started as, as part-time partial load and have had opportunities and have, have maybe stretched themselves to try something that wasn't familiar to them or that they, it wasn't a, oh, 
I, I'm absolutely, all of my experience is exactly the same as this, right? It's a stretch. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to change. But uh, to see that being rewarded within Humber is also, um, you know, something to celebrate. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, so much progress, you know, sort of in the past, you know, decade uh, or, or less, you know, even. Um, so uh, despite all the, the, the massive gains, are there areas of concern or, or are there areas that we, you know, sort of where we still need to make um, those advances? Well, uh, you know, as has been, I think, since the summer of 2020, we have started, there's been a broader conversation society-wide about inequities uh, and about how people with multiple uh, identities that um, are, that are uh, sort of from equity-deserving equity areas when you have multiple identities in that frame, you are disproportionately potentially disadvantaged. So that while we're making gains, we know that the gains we are seeing are often for, uh, not for our uh, colleagues that are of color. So uh, women of color are more challenged to uh, see the progress that the, it is not uh, being experienced by uh, by those colleagues in the same way that it might be for other people of European descent or people who identify as white. So uh, you know, I think that is an area that we all need to to think about and look at. What are we doing to be uh, strong allies? What are whether we, however we identify in our positions of power, what are we doing to, um, to ensure that we're really looking at the authentic skills that people that we work with are bringing and that we can seek out opportunities for those uh, who may have been disadvantaged uh, in terms of what opportunities were presented. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's always really important to uh, build those relationships with people so that they will share with me some of their hopes and dreams. Um, sometimes there, I, I, there's nothing that uh, I can action, but sometimes a conversation will happen and I'll remember that we spoke about this and then I can help make that connection. I can help support and encourage. And, and sometimes, um, you know, things fall into place. So can I give you an example? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I was working with a, a different college. We'd put together a, a proposal to create a course uh, about uh, uh, black voices and black experience in Canada. And so it's a, it's a collaboration with another college and I think things are all ready, but it's not quite there. So I'm not gonna say too much about it yet, but um, it was one of those 
moments where things changed and the, the lead college that who had a, a faculty member assigned, things changed in that person's life and they moved into a different role. And so there was an opportunity. Uh, you know, it, opportunities often come from scrambling. <laughs> in, the, in the associate dean role, which I was in at the time, there's a lot of opportunities that happen because something has changed. And now it's like, okay, what are we gonna do? So, uh, you know, I approached someone within my faculty who was in the partial load uh, area to say, would you be interested to come and hear about this, see if it's something that you wanted to do? And it, it's become uh, something that she's taken uh, on full bore. And um, it, it's been a really, I think, a really great uh, so building a course with a team and, and working with people across different colleges, like those are opportunities and, and networking that can come from that, you know, who knows where it will lead. So I'm so incredibly thrilled that I was able to, uh, you know, give her that introduction into this. Um, I don't know what it will change, uh, if anything, but I, I think it's been a great experience and, and the professional development, I'm sure for her ha has been wonderful. And I know that uh, the team was really thrilled with everything that they've been able to produce. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to hear. And, and I'm wondering, how does mentorship, what role does mentorship play within, uh, you know, sort of leadership roles in, in academia? Absolutely. I think it's, again, a lot of it has to do with that relationship building, that um, the difference between having a meeting where you know, someone's sort of taking notes uh, about what your skill set is versus someone who's put down the paper and they're really having a deep conversation with you because it's through, it's through that, that knowledge that, that it, it's not enough to know sort of what someone's skills are, but it, it's really about uh, them to be able to say to you, uh, you know, this is where I'd, I'd like to see myself. Um, what are the things that I can do? And so being able to share with them a bit about my own story, some of the things that I found helpful for me, but mostly a lot of it is, is listening. And a lot of it is that networking piece. I really do think that that is my power and privilege in the position that I am in, is that I can make the introductions. I can open the door to say, this is an opportunity. It's up to you what you make of it, but I can be certainly um, mindful that, um, you know, I want to uh, open that door. I want to introduce you. I want to connect you because I, I think that the network uh, that if that if, if without that introduction to a broader uh, broader opportunities, those concrete concrete walls are there. So you know, I, I think we we all appreciate and know and, and and hopefully have had you know sort of mentors along the way and 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 you know in my experience it's always been something that's been quite 
informal you know it's just yeah. you know you're you come across it and um you know somebody will reach out a hand and help you and and you do the same and i'm just wondering if there's any you know sort of i don't want to say formalized but yeah more so formalized you know sort of mentorship um or available or or being developed at humber that's a you know i do think that part of it is having a mentor that's at the same in the same place as you are doesn't help you progress right so part of it is uh someone that's doing the same work as you uh does doesn't know about other opportunities that are uh, that might be out there. So I think that, yeah, we we typically when we have new faculty that are onboarded, and I'm always going to be relating to that because that's where most of my experience is. You know, give me another couple of years, I might have more to say about being in the, the dean role of uh, of innovative learning in terms of past experience at least. But um, that uh, you know when a new person joins, we typically um, connect them with a senior um, professor so that there's someone who's taught the course, who knows the student groups, et cetera. And so that's a very specific kind of mentoring, right? That's really about, uh, you know, somewhat a soft place to land if you're struggling with what's going on in the classroom. Um, someone who, can troubleshoot with you as as things are going on it's very sort of at the same level uh, but you know in terms of moving your career forward i think that yeah those uh opportunities to connect with someone so for most people it's that associate dean uh and that you know that, that's an interesting idea about how are we mentoring and are there opportunities uh for volunteer work for um, our deans, our senior deans, to uh, you know potentially reach out to some uh, some faculty to say, let's talk about it. I know that uh, in a previous session, uh, Lord, I think it was well we were on campus, so it had to be maybe 2020. Um, Nancy Sims had organized an International Women's Day, and and Lori Rancourt led a session like that where she was talking about this is my journey how i got here uh and uh one of the things that she said which resonated with me was be brave and if it isn't you why not you an opportunity comes it feels unsettling it feels like it might be too much but if not you who and, and why couldn't it be you why not see yourself in that role? Because there's sometimes we actually stop ourselves from doing things uh, because of an internalized voice about what we can and can't do, and what we should and we shouldn't do. So uh, you know that was a very that was a powerful moment for me um, to hear that from her. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And just it can be as simple as that, can't it? Just like somebody just saying that, you know, be brave. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's right. Sometimes we just have to be that person, right? We have to step into it and and take that role. Yeah. So the the, the podcast is for uh, for faculty and a lot of faculty will be listening to this and 
they are really role models for their students absolutely you know how do you have advice uh, for any faculty mm. just when they're in that role you know sort of they're you know women uh, who are faculty who are modeling what a career in academia could look like well i think you know the goal is for all of us to be able to be our authentic selves so that our students our learners can see themselves in us as well right that that the more that we can bring diverse voices diverse perspectives uh to our teaching uh to to our group of teachers the more people of uh you know uh all of our learners can see themselves can hear themselves uh here i think the other thing is that we want to be sure to encourage that in our students to to make sure that we um encourage them to bring their full selves i think that being open to flexibility to the way that we do things i think we've learned that so much in the past two years that that and there's been and that you know i have to really commend the the faculty that i've worked with have been really clear that they are uh so understanding about everything that students are going through they care so much about the success of their students and i think that you know we need to uh remember that as we return to the classroom as as you know the world reshifts um remember how important that compassion has been and how much difference it's made to people uh and that it's those moments that allow people to bring their full self they don't feel that they'll be punished because they have a child at home or because they need to take that extra shift at work because they do um if we are not um you know we have embedded that kind of flexibility and compassion into our teaching um that will encourage our all of our learners to see themselves um belonging here uh whether it's in that classroom or whether it's in a future uh different role like uh, as that faculty member or, or as that associate dean because uh they're not being blocked out because they don't fit a stereotype of what that typical student is or or what that typical what that you know supposed best way to do things that that, that there's variety so uh, the pandemic has impacted all of us and one reads about you know it has affected uh, women disproportionately uh, in the workplace not necessarily in academia but in the workplace um yeah. are you seeing any of that in at Humber at all um in in leadership positions at all uh well i think the things that i i see would be that um you know i see uh women who are so I'm, i'm typically going to be focusing on on faculty again so women who are teaching who have their children at home who have you know that so the complexity of the role uh i think there's a you know there's still 
some of that, even though our, our family lives have changed compared to whatever that stereotype is of what it was in, in the past. Uh, but I do still think that there is a, a certain um, higher likelihood that they're going to call, that children will call out for mom at certain points of the day. Uh, so, you know, the complexity uh, and the challenges that, uh, that families are facing and that in, in particular that mothers are, are facing and trying to, to grapple with all this. I know we are, uh, you know, our, our children are back in the classrooms, but the days when, well, now someone's sick, now what's going to happen, right? So uh, certainly, uh, you know, we know that there is a, a difference in terms of what happens in terms of uh, the, the, the work that happens in the home, how much of that resides on whose shoulders. Uh, there still are, there is still a gender gap there. So um, do I think that women are uh, facing that in the workforce? Yes, and, the, and women often have, are the ones that make the choices about who's going to make, who's going to care for the extent, more of the extended family, um, who's gonna be able to support the mother, the father. So we know that the, uh, is it the sandwich generation where they've got the children and the, uh, and the parents that they're managing, right? And caring for, while probably not caring for themselves very much. So, so women out there, uh, try to take care of yourself as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, one piece that maybe I wasn't quite aware of when I was sort of coming through with my career was hitting that glass ceiling, you know, sort of it was a real, real thing. And um, my thought is, do we prepare our students? Do we tell them about this? Mm. How do we prepare them for it? Because it is real, you know, as much yeah. as we have made huge leaps, I mean, huge leaps, you know, sort of especially in education, but in the workplace, you know, sort of there are still huge gaps in leadership roles for women and there's huge gaps in, you know, the pay disparity. What, yes. do, we, what do we tell our students, you know, or do we, do we tell them that? Well, I think that uh, that's a very good question. Do we tell them? I think different fields will take it on. I think, uh, you know, you look at how diverse uh, Humber's program offerings are. I would very much bet that uh, students that are in the Faculty of Social and Community Services have some pretty strong conversations about this in their classrooms. Uh, but maybe some of our other groups, uh, you know, we don't, we don't take it on. Um, I think that the, so, one of the values of our uh, general education and degree breadth courses are that no matter what program you are in, you can take a course on sociology that will be talking about what is power? How is society structured? What are the ways that we reinforce the status quo? How, how do we build institutions that continue to reinforce that status quo? So, you know, those, that's where some of that, those conversations happen and in those liberal studies kinds of courses. Uh, 
you know, it's a reality. Um, I, if we have the good solution of how we break it, how we break through, <laughs> that's the next question, right? That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I think one of the uh, one of the things that Humber is doing uh, that applies to all of our learners, all of our students, is really our HLO, so our Humber Learning Outcomes, and uh, the focus there is on three major mindsets. Uh, sustainability, um, systems thinking, and equity, diversity, and inclusion. So the equity, diversion, and uh, diversity and inclusion mindset is is really focused on uh, all of our all of our students getting a perspective about uh, power, privilege, uh, allyship uh, across all of our programs. So. Uh, well, certain courses might be completely focused on that, like the, the sociology courses that I mentioned earlier, or that's their, their topic. But within each of our programs, we know that these values and these understandings about the world, these overall mindsets, are, are things that employers are wanting their, uh, their new hires to be able to recognize and to address. Uh, so, you know, I think that's exactly what the HLOs are meant to do, is to ensure that these perspectives are, are part of what all of our Humber students are learning. And, you know, systems thinking and sustainability feed into exactly that same understanding about uh, inequities and what we do to potentially address them. So uh, this year is a big year for us because we're working with the programs to look at where the HLOs are already implemented and looking at other opportunities for where we can deepen that connection in all our programming. So I just want to um, ask you one final piece. Do you have any advice at all for other women who are maybe coming up through uh, the ranks at Humber, you know, if they have ambitions to take on a more powerful role, what, what would your advice be to them? So my advice would be this. Humber is a big institution. It has lots of opportunities. Um, some of them have more, a little bit of risk. You might need to move out of something that you're comfortable in to try something different. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough thing right now with everything that's going on in the world, but um, you know, thinking about uh, stepping out of our our comfort zone, sometimes trying things that you know might make us feel like it's it's going to be extra work, it's going to be harder. Um, I, I'm not going to necessarily immediately see a payoff of this. This is a, a research project that I, I might want to do. Well, you know, that's going to be extra. Uh, but those opportunities might not just be for doing that research project. It might be the people that you meet through it, that you share, you've got that sort of shared uh, interest, experience, that, that it grows into other things. So. You know, uh, I guess that's what I would say is that um, those opportunities aren't just 
for that work. It's the, the network that you build and who else you get to know. And it's, I, I don't believe in the whole thing about it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But if you don't know anyone, what you know doesn't take you anywhere else, that it keeps you where you already are. So that those introductions um, can really make a huge difference into what, what um, other experiences you have and then how that positions you to be able to grow into a new role that opens. So sometimes it's the, it's the, the practice run before you get into the big run where you've had an opportunity to try something out. And it might just be to say, I never want to do that again, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that is absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much for that. Um, and thanks for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Thank you, Fiona. In the second half of today's episode, you're going to be hearing some excerpts from conversations that I had with three outstanding women who happen to also be Humber alumni. And in this conversation, we're going to be speaking about women in the workplace. You'll hear from Kimberly Shelley Ajibalade, a graduate of the Paralegal Education Program in 2010, who is currently a branch manager at Universal Staffing. Stephanie Williams, who graduated from public relations in 2011 and currently works as a program support officer in the Faculty of Business here at Humber. And Amber Payee, who graduated from radio broadcasting in 1994 and is a freelance broadcaster, actor, and voiceover talent. Thank you very much for being here and thank you for giving of your time to uh, have this conversation. And I know you're a fan of Humber. You have yes. given back a lot to Humber over the years. And what, um, you know, what we're thinking about a lot, I think, as teachers right now is accessibility and access mm -hmm. and ways to make learning more accessible to people, especially now with COVID and all these, you know, things that have occurred in the last few years that, and of course, with the advent of online learning and hybrid mm -hmm. learning and all these different kinds of things that we're talking about even before we started this call. We were talking about hybrid workplace arrangements and things exactly. like that. How do you think that Humber, you know, can or should perhaps make their delivery methods or their programs more accessible to people with uh, different life circumstances, whether they're working or whether they've got childcare or elder right. care or different life circumstances? What do you think about that? Well, I think we certainly have to reckon that it is a hybrid way of uh, um, working now. And we have to be um, accommodating, <laughs> if you will. Um, I mean, International Women's Month or Day is right around the corner, right? And so we find that often, I guess, some of the times, those who need those accommodation, which in, you do have those who take paternity leave and stuff as well, but I'm talking about for the most part, right? Those who might need some of those accommodations are um, women, especially as we go into the hybrid way, right? In terms of needing it because of other factors of their lifestyle and stuff like that. I think we just need to take a look at that. And even in my own job and in my own role, I've had to look at that, right? Um, just kind of what to do to encourage labor and foster growth. So remember in an era of CERB where the government's providing, you have to make it appeasing too. <laughs> You know, um, because if it doesn't work, basically, that's why some of those things were in place. Right. And some people outright lost their jobs. Other people just couldn't probably function because of all this new unraveling and the other 
facets of their life that were affected, not because they didn't want to work, but because it no longer worked. And so how do we then make work um, appealing? How do we then accommodate, you know, to the point, not unto the point of undue hardship, but where it works together while for both employer and employee. And so I guess it's just kind of looking at what um, people wanted in the workplace. And even as we may come out of this, the reality is partially because people has gotten accustomed to it. It, it is going to be a part hybrid um, working is going to be a part of it. Society, whether we like it or not. Right. That's kind of the new way. It's kind of like if it, if it if it could work like that, why not have it like that anyways? Right. And so when people get accustomed to it, then it's kind of hard to break out of also. Right. So it's finding that balance. I think some of the things that we could do um, is to first figure out kind of the areas and the facets that are important. Right. So let's say um, maybe three of the main things then. Right. That women might want in the workplace, for example. We know it's a matter of knowing what to attract, how to attract, retain, and promote then women in your organization or talent in your organization, right? Look at what those are. And those can be done by kind of, you know, like studies, research, um, all these different analysis, right? Um, I know that having that kind of purpose, so more than just like a nine to five, I would say, right? So knowing that they want um, more than just a nine to five, They'll stay with a current employer um, first because the job fits well with other areas of their life, let's say, um, following by naturally enjoying the work that they do and believing that, you know, it will give them opportunity, right? You want that room for growth. It's kind of what motivates you to keep going on because if you're at the cap, let's be honest, there's only so long, right, before it becomes mundane. And so that little bit of um, succession there that helps, right? And just further things like more um, more meaningful work, right? That kind of connects to their values, their purpose, um, and to work-life balance, right? So all of these reasoning together, then it becomes more like a calling, like, right? <laughs> if you will, as opposed to just kind of showing up. If I think if we can attract those things, um, then yeah, you'd see people pursuing more of all those cumulative things being like a calling, then that it would really be attractive, right? We talk about flexibility. I, I mentioned that, right? In terms of the hybrid way, right? When we're uh, so kind of when and how they work, right? Um, I'm sure if you kind of ask a <laughs> Hebrew woman now, kind of like what are their workplace perks or benefits, right? Flexibility will definitely come up, you know, um, um, and for, for those maybe paid time off or leadership development amongst those things. I think those are some of the key stuff, flexibility and schedules, as I made mention. And yeah, opportunities to move up. I think those are some of the most, the most crucial things. Amazing. Amazing. Good advice. Well, thank you so much for this discussion today. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you've given our listeners a lot to, to think about and, and congratulations awesome. on all your success and thank you. look thank forward you so to talking much. to you again soon. Yes, definitely. Take care now. Thank you. Yeah, so you graduated in public relations in 2011, and you're now working as a student support officer at York. Is that correct? Well, actually, I'm I'm actually at Humber myself, so yeah. <laughs> I'm actually working there now. Oh, I great. just started in the fall. Uh, it was a, for me, a pretty easy transition, I would say, simply because I've been in the educational realm for, I think, five years now. So faculty of business. Faculty of business. Okay, great. Yes. So 
Tell me about your experience as a student at Humber way back when you graduated in 2011 or before. <laughs> I mean, are there certain kinds of learning experiences or, or, or ideas that you took from that time as a student that you feel like, uh, you know, have, have stuck with you or served you really well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did a four-year undergrad um, in communications and sociology, and I felt going into my final year that I needed something more hands-on. So I was already thinking in the future, and I was looking at postgraduate programs whereby I could get not only that hands-on piece, but also something that's more geared towards a specific industry, and public relations seems like or seemed like it was a great fit for me. Uh, and so when I found out about Humber's program and I attended an open house and just did all of my research and uh, talked to a few uh, faculty members or staff members who were able to provide me with information. I was sold on the school and then I also have family who went there as well. So it was, it was kind of an, an easy transition for me. And then I decided to attend and being there was a, a great experience. What you learn in a year in terms of, of actually, actually doing work as if you were in an agency or in a consultancy or working in a corporate office. Uh, that's what people need in terms of being able to uh, launch into the corporate world or the career world, if you will. And so that kind of provided me with the preparation that I was looking for in order to not only build up that confidence to say, you know what, I can do this definitely, but also just having the experience behind it, having instructors who actually were in the industry or have experience with the industry or connections to the industry. It, it just made it that much, not necessarily easier, but that much more um, eye-opening in terms of what's available and how to um, make the best use of your network in that space and also building on your, your skill set. So I found it to be very hands-on, uh, thorough, to the point, strict <laughs> to some mm. extent in a, in a good way, right? We need <laughs> deadlines. We need deadlines. Mm -hmm. If they said, you know, hand things in whenever, we would hand things in whenever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it gave you that or it gave me that discipline. It allows you to actually build on that. And then you actually kind of pivot and you transition that into the workforce. Do you, did you feel like coming out of that? I mean, a, a theme that's been coming up in a lot of the conversations that I've been having in the past week is networking. And when you kind of came out of that program, you were done, went out into the world. <laughs> did you yes. feel like you had that support of the beginnings of a professional network to be able to kind of sustain you and, and, and get you connected into the industry? Was that something that you felt like you had? Uh, absolutely. I think it, it stems from a couple of things because branding is a huge piece, especially when you're in PR, right? You have to have consistency mm. across the board. You're telling a story and mm. you also need to be the PR voice for your own self, <laughs> your own brand. And so LinkedIn was yeah. a key piece mm. using LinkedIn, being able to connect with people, but these are people you actually met and then you connect with them. I think it's sure. different now, which I'm not knocking it, but you know, people just send out invitations with no message and no, hey, or hi, I want to connect with you because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, and so LinkedIn was a key piece in that. But also for me as a student, I was, I don't want to say an overachiever, but I was definitely the type uh, to go after things when I saw fit for my own, uh, not only personality, but my own interests. And so I would volunteer a lot. I did a mm. lot of volunteer work. Um, I connected with a lot of people through different spaces. So I would I would work special events, um, big events in the city. I would do um, 
just like one day events, conferences, award shows, you name it. I was trying to be involved just to not only be in that space and actually see it with my own eyes, as opposed to, let's say, on TV. Like, for example, I got to do the Juno Awards when they were in Toronto. So that was a, a neat experience. Uh, but also just connecting with other people, either like-minded or people within different industries and just trying to get a feel for what it is that they're doing and how they got into that space. You have so many questions, that journalistic background kind of <laughs> comes mm. into play where you ask a lot of questions. Um, and then you also just, you're trying to have a good time in that space. But at the same time, you're trying to learn, you're trying to see how things are being operated. You're seeing how the pace is moving. You're getting a feel for what it would be like if you were in those shoes and actually running those events or uh, doing the things on the, the PR side for in connection to the PR program, what that looks like and, and how to actually navigate and move uh, while in those spaces. So I volunteered a lot. I did a lot mm. of volunteer work. I used uh, sites such as, and I'm trying to remember, if it was Volunteer Toronto, there was charityvillage.com. There was, um, there was just a whole array of things. I, was, I would just go after it. <laughs> I would literally just go looking for opportunities to volunteer or networking events. And networking is so important because you're, it's about making connections. It's about building rapports. It's, about, uh, it's not necessarily just about, hey, can you help me get a job? But it's more or less about, um, I'm interested in your story or what it is that you do. And I'm maybe hoping one day that that could be me in that position. And I want to know what advice you have. Advice is always great, especially when it's free advice. So, <laughs> so um, it's always nice to get some insight into different industries or just different perspectives or mentorship. Even that mm. is extremely important because we can't do it all by ourselves. There's, there's always somebody that could potentially help us and everybody needs help with everything that it is that they're doing. No one can do anything by themselves. And it's good mm -hmm. to have that support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Great <laughs> advice. You. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. And thank you. And thank congratulations you. on your all your success and your current gig back at Humber. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Exciting. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> thank you thank so much you. for having me. This is awesome. And I'm looking forward to being a continuous listener of the podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> thank you very much. To, to hear the enthusiasm in your voice, you know, 20 years down the road or whatever it is, it's, um, it's, it's inspiring. And also to know that, to see the, the, the way that your professors carried themselves and presented themselves gave you an impression of professionalism and, and that they advocated for you as well. And, 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 and as a woman as well. And, and, and that's very important, you know. It can be a it can be a, a tough place. I I did have uh, I had a, a an instructor there who also. It's a strange world sometimes being a woman, and I I mean I always grew up in a working world. I was a working actor when I was eleven, so for me I was always around adults. I was always I, I went to acting classes with adults. Uh, I was on set with adults, and I learned how to just sort of navigate that world. And uh, if, you know, we're talking about um, International Women's Day, I'm happy to see that a lot of that mm. has changed. A lot of, I'm happy to see in the industry that a lot of women are in front of mm -hmm. the camera. Uh, and, you know, for somebody who 
grew up in a, a male dominated field, uh, you do notice a difference in the way that you are mm. treated behind the mic, even, mm. um, you know, notoriously it's a man that hosts the radio show and the woman is the sidekick. And that's how I grew up. And, um, for me, that meant I had people to look up to like Marilyn mm. Dennis, who, you know, she may have been like, it was Roger Rick and Marilyn, uh, when I was growing up, then Roger Darren and Marilyn, and now it's Marilyn mm -hmm. and Jamar. So, because Marilyn's obviously, she's a staple. She's a staple in Toronto media, uh, both radio and television. And I mean, the, the woman is, has, she's mm -hmm. done it. She's the one who opened those doors. So for me looking up and having to work with somebody lucky, I was lucky enough to work with somebody like Marilyn Dennis, who you, you did look up and go, this woman, She's done it. She's done radio and television and she's, she did it at the same time. And you see a lot of other women that are coming forward saying, I'm doing double duty today. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here. Marilyn Dennis did it yep. first and, and didn't brag about it. She just went to work and um, full accolades to Marilyn who, you know, I adore and I adore her son, Adam Wilde, uh, who is at Virgin oh. Radio. He does a morning show there. I watched him grow up and he's a fabulous she raised a fabulous boy. So she was a single mom and she had a TV show and a radio show going on at the same time. I've never seen her complain. I've never seen her whine. I've never seen her upset. I've never seen her mad. I've never, she just, you just, you mm -hmm. worked. And that's what it is. I'm happy to see that there are more women that are, you know, coming forward and, and, and being forward and having those opportunities. Uh, what I didn't like when I was, uh, doing traffic and I was, I did traffic for many years, I did it for 18 years. Uh, I worked alongside Bob Summers, who again is, you know, a master. He was, he was the traffic guy, Bob Summers. I could have said the same report as him, but be called the traffic Twinkie. Oh, well. yeah. So those things I didn't yeah. like, I didn't like that I was being um, called out for, for my mm -hmm. voice. Well, okay, everybody has their own voice. I don't, you know, it's not, it, you know, I've been called shrill. Um, I've been called, oh, you sound like you have pigtails, like you're 12. Uh, and I remember, and that was right direct from my news director. And I was 30 at the time when I was told that. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm 30 or I'm 29 turning 30. How do I fix that? How do I how do I, how do I, do I, do I, do I go? So, you know, I was trying to lower my voice all the time. And, and I remember thinking, hmm, do other people get told this? Or is it just me? Do you not like me? Or do you not like, why did you hire me? You didn't like my voice. And maybe it was because I was already embedded in chum and, uh, there were, I, I was well-liked by the president. I was well-liked by the program director of 1050 Chum. I was well-liked by the program director of Chum FM. Is, was that an influence there? Um, you know, I had already been doing on-air stuff on the weekend. Uh, nobody had once told me that my voice was offensive or terrible. And I certainly didn't hear anything about anybody else's voice. Uh, it, any of the male voices that I was working with. Uh, I worked with Kim Geddes, who was a female voice there. I don't recall her getting told that her voice was maybe too deep. 
because she had a, a very a low voice. Um, and she used to joke that she was mistaken for a man sometimes, but nobody had a problem with that. It was mine. It was mine. My voice was too high or I sounded shrill. And I kept thinking, how do I work on this? How do I work on this? More from the diaphragm, more from the diaphragm. Okay. I'm now, you know, and I'm trying to deepen it and I can probably put it on. I mean, right now I sound like me, but I can, if I'm doing a, an authoritative mm. thing, I can lower it and I can make it sound news mm. So, but yeah, I mean, there's different challenges. I think uh, being warned about um, men in the industry coming mm -hmm. for you, uh, you know, in a, in an inappropriate mm -hmm. manner uh, uh, and, or my voice is too high or I don't look right. And then I started going on television for CP24 and, you know, was I wearing the right clothing? Well, I didn't get a clothing allowance ever. So I was out there on, you know, just trying to figure out what to buy myself. Um, and, you know, I didn't look right. Or was I too, was I too thin? Was I too fat? Uh, was my, did, did it, or were my roots showing? Uh, luckily for me, there was a whole slew of makeup artists that did my makeup, you know, uh, because, uh, if, you know, if it was left to my own devices, I mean, just, you know, look normal or not right. I mean, there's a lot of makeup that goes on your face that people don't realize. I mean, there's a whole, you walk out into public and you think, you're looking at yourself like, whoa, I'm really made up. But with cameras and lights, it looks normal and whatever. But, um, yeah, there's, I think there's a, you know, I was called in one time because they didn't like the shirt I was wearing. Okay, then give me the parameters, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you have to ask the questions. Okay, fine. Because I, it was literally picked up a pen and went, that is not working on camera. Okay. Then tell me what you mm -hmm. need me to wear. Like, don't just blurt it out like that. Um, give me some parameters to follow and I'll follow them. Uh, just, you know, don't be kind of a jerk about it. You know, and so there, I think there's, there's, there's still a, a ways to go in how women are spoken mm. to. And I think, and I hope that's mm. changing um, because I, it's, it, it, there, there's, there is still a, a difference. I think uh, maybe not so much when I, when I left uh, Bell in 2017, I, I didn't work again until 2019, really. I, I mean, I, I went over to CBC for a while and I did some stuff and then I went and got my own show. So uh it's it's different working for a woman than it is a man um and and there's a whole bunch of differences there that can be complicated and then not complicated uh there's certain things that i find women care about more than men care about more and you just kind of have to navigate those waters um uh i uh, i i worked un, under a woman who was determined not to uh, have anybody disrespect a woman. Uh, so she would make those rules of, you make sure you're here 45 minutes beforehand, you know, because you have to prepare this, this, this. You be here, you, and I, I'm st I stress it to people in radio all the time, make sure you're on time. You have to be, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, you mm -hmm. have to be on time. Um, uh, it, but if, if you're a man, it's kind of like, Oh, or at least back in the day. Oh, you slept in. Mm. Um, oh, you know, if you're a woman and you're late and you know, well, why can't you get mm. crap together? And I don't think, I think that's changing mm. now. I think there's more, Hey, you know what? 
you, you got to give me some space here. You know, if, if you're a, you're a single mother and you're a single father, let's say if you're a single father. It's just maybe more assumed that the mother is going to handle stuff. And hopefully those things are changing. If you're a single mom and you have your child and you have to get to work or get this or get that. And you kind of don't make it on time. It's like, well, you know, you know, you get spoken to, but if you're a man, it's like, Oh yeah, I get Mm. it. So there are rules for some people and rules for other people. And hopefully that's changing uh, because naturally it's, it's, you know, the, the, not naturally, it shouldn't be naturally this way, but if a, if a, Oh, it, it, women have been seen more as the child, you know, get out the door kind of person, get the breakfast. Um, I, I was thankful enough that I worked with two men at Chum who raised their children without mm. the mothers. And uh, to see that sort of mm. perspective, um, you know, and getting that child out the door, the, the mothers were nowhere to be seen. They were, they were raising their child and it was, it was different um, because, you know, you always hear on one side that it, it's, a woman doing it. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have a partner that shares responsibility, as I know Marilyn Dennis had, she had a great uh, partner, ex-husband, uh, and, and worked it out and sorted it out. And uh, I think that's really successful. But there can be there can be differences mm-hmm. in that respect as well. I've never had children, so I'm just kind of speaking from uh, sort of what I watch and view and stories that I hear. But... Um, Hopefully those, those narratives are changing too. Yeah, I hope so. And, and I think, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it sounds like a, a, an unwritten double standard that has no, that there's no, uh, it, there's, that has no merit. And, and it's, it's a, yeah, it's something that we all need to be mindful of for sure. When we're, we're trying to understand people with, uh, experiences that are different from our own, you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, I think that's something that all teachers and, and, and certainly in every industry have to be aware of, it sounds like, I, yeah, I hope that narrative is, is changing as well in your industry. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for your insights and I, it's just been a joy to talk to you and, and I, I wish you all the best in your, in your new journey in Arizona and uh, I hope you enjoy it. The Staff Lounge is brought to you by Innovative Learning. Our producer and editor is Fiona Tudor-Price. Promotions and graphics by Elizabeth Springate. Hamza Ibrahimi manages our website. Our executive producer is Rania Khan. Our theme song is composed and performed by me, Sharantha Bedegay. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast apps, and if you like what we're doing, tell your friends. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Staff Lounge.